And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning and welcome to the show. Of course, it's the hot day edition of The Real Investment Show. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. Danny Ratliff will be joining me here in just a little bit as well to talk a little bit about markets, what's going on. A lot of, a lot of stuff happened yesterday, of course. Uh, big news, of course, yesterday. Well, inflation came in hotter than expected, right? So we saw a bit of an increase in inflation. Um, it was kind of expected uh, widely by most of the Wall Street analysts, economists, et cetera, that we might see weaker rates of inflation, actually a negative print of 0.1 or 0.2% on the inflation run on a month-over-month basis. That wasn't the case. We saw a positive print in CPI. Now, overall, CPI actually declined on a year-over-year basis, but again, that hotter print than expected really stirred the markets yesterday because it pulled off this whole narrative. You know, the, Over the last four days, we've talked about this rally in the markets. It's been a fairly strong one. And, you know, coming off that support line, that, that this kind of rising trend line that we've had in the markets. And, you know, that was all based on this premise that the Fed would hike rates by 75 basis points at the end of the month, which is actually next week. And that might kind of be the it for you know, a lot of these more aggressive rate hikes. And, and if we started seeing kind of weaker inflation prints, we've seen a decline in energy prices. Um, you know, that would help, you know, alleviate some of this pressure potentially from the Fed. That wasn't the case. Now, energy prices did decline. Unfortunately, it's a much smaller component of the CPI calculation. Food prices, housing and shelter, those are bigger components of the index. Those rose. And again, there's a lag, as we've talked about before, there's a lag effect to housing prices. It takes time between the, you know, the, the time that rates go up and housing slows and the time houses get sold or, you know, prices get dropped. And, and, and when, when interest rates are rising, houses start to stay on the markets longer. So the transaction takes longer to complete. So we don't have the data for that sell uh, for a bit of time. And by the time it shows up into the housing data, it takes several months. It takes about three months. And that's why there's about a three-month lag to a lot of the housing price data. And it's just because of that process of getting the house listed, sold, closed, et cetera, and getting that final data. So again, we're still seeing the rent of shelters go up. We're still seeing you know, housing prices still high, even though they are starting to come down, but not enough to bring down the overall rate of inflation. So even though we saw commodity prices decline, it was offset by rising food prices at the grocery store. And again, a lot of consumers still paying for that. Um, as, a, as a consequence of that, of course, this rally in the markets we had over the last four days got unwound very quickly because, again, it was all based on this premise that we'd see weaker rate of inflation and the Fed would start to back off potentially on rate hikes. Yesterday's CPI print certainly did not sway the idea that the Fed would reduce their expectations or start to slow their advance. In fact, um, the percentage chance of a full 1% hike in the Fed funds rate next week is now at about 35%. So um, a 75 basis point uh, rate hike is pretty much baked into the cake. That's going to happen next week. Um, but there's now a rising chance the Fed could even be more aggressive 
going up by 1%. And then that led to the sell-off yesterday. Uh, yesterday's sell-off was the biggest one-day decline since June of 2020 in the S&P. So we got to go all the way back to the to post-pandemic to see a day where the market was down 4% in a single day. It was a very big decline. Now, that's the bad news, right? Big sell-off yesterday. Uh, that's the bad news. Um, the, the more positive news, I guess, if you want to put, if you want to try to throw that out there, because this morning on CNBC, it's just markets in turmoil everywhere, red banners, right, uh, all across the board. Um, you know, we're still in this positive kind of uh, tr rising trend line from the, the lows that we set just a, a couple of months ago. So that bullish kind of trend line is still holding in place. Now, again, this is this kind of contrary you know, setup we've got going in the markets, we're still in this kind of consolidating pennant pattern in the markets. We've got this rising set of bottoms. We have still have a declining set of, of peaks in the markets, but that is getting much more narrow. That trading range for the markets becoming much more narrow. So a decision is coming, right, for the markets. Now, that decision is, is either going to be a break to the downside, which is going to happen by the end of the week. If if we're going to break to the downside, I would suspect to see that by end of week, right? And, and we will break to the bottom of this trend line. And that will suggest that we will come back and retest these lows that we put in back in July. Um, if we're able to hold this rising trend line and, and stay within this range, now markets are kind of pointing a little higher this morning. So we're starting to, we have a little bit of green this morning across the indexes. We'll see if that holds. Again, that sell-off yesterday surprised a lot of investors. It didn't really give you much of an opportunity in, uh, uh, to do anything yesterday because that, that sell-off was so sharp. There's a lot of trapped investors in that market right now. So again, any rally this morning probably is gonna get sold into a bit, we'll see. Um, but if the markets do break this rising trend line, that's gonna certainly set us up for a retest of these lows uh, that we put in back in July. Now, yesterday we were talking about also our MACD indicator, which is kind of that really good buying indicator for the markets, very close to triggering a buy signal uh, yesterday. Uh, that was reversed, of course, and, and that indicator has not triggered because of yesterday's sell-off. Um, again, very close to setting a trigger, but now it's going to take a little bit more work before that to happen. So again, that, that really good indicator has continued to kind of, you know, keep allocations a little bit more cautious, raise, you know, a little bit higher cash level because we're still in a sell mode right now for the markets. And that, that, that kind of continued to play out yesterday. Uh, again, now one thing about yesterday's sell-off too, from a more, I guess, as, as I said, a more bullish perspective, if you want to look at it that way, is that there was really no sign of a pickup in volatility. Um, if you take a look at yesterday's market, you're down 4%. And when you're down 4%, you're certainly expecting that, you know, people are certainly probably panicking at that point. But we didn't really see that across the board. In fact, volatility rose a little bit, but still very much confined into this very kind of complacent line of the markets. So again, despite all this kind of sell-off this year, you know, the markets are down 20%. It was, you know, the, the biggest one-day decline since June of 2020. Markets really not panicking much over it. Again, investors not really panicking. In fact, if you take a look at investor allocations, we're not seeing any negative outflows from equities right now. So despite the selling, 
right? We're not seeing a, a shift in, in investors across the board globally just taking money out of markets and getting more defensive. Now, that could certainly change, right? And, and again, as we kind of move forward uh, from here, you know, the Fed is hiking rates, as we've talked about before. The risk ultimately is that they go too far, they break something in the markets. Um, and create some type of credit-related event. Now, that would probably spark an outflow of equities from the markets, and, and that's going to lead to that broader decline potentially in markets if that occurs, but there's, there's kind of no guarantee of that either. So as, as we continue to kind of watch markets, it, it, it pays to pay attention to what's happening, and right now there's not a lot of panic in the markets. In fact, there hasn't really been any panic this year at all. You know, despite the market selling off, Markets are still trading well within the, the 20 handle of the VIX index. I mean, we haven't spiked up to levels of 30 or 40 or 50, which is, you know, areas we've seen previously uh, during big bear markets. And so, again, this market kind of remains very complacent relative to the overall environment. We'll see how this plays out. But again, just continue to remain cautious here. Be a little bit patient, hold a little bit of extra cash, and we'll kind of navigate from that. Um, when we come back from the break, we've got a lot more to get into this morning about yesterday's sell-off, where to go to next. That's coming up on The Real Investment Show with Danny Ratliff. Be right back. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. It's back to school time. And for your high school student, it's time to fill out the infamous FAFSA form for college financial aid. Mistakes could cost you money. Our next virtual lunch and learn will help you maximize your free application for financial student aid, the FAFSA. Register now for this free lunch and learn with Danny Ratliff and Chris Liebham, Thursday, September 15th at noon at realinvestmentadvice.com. Filling out the FAFSA is vital for getting financial aid. Learn how. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. And welcome. Can you back up a little bit? Get all up in my face. There we go. <laughs> my dermatologist called me yesterday and said, hey, I need to check that spot on your face there. Jeez. <laughs> Mr. DeMille, it's time for your close-up. <laughs> anyway, good morning. Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. Danny Ratliff joining me this morning. Hey, Danny, how are you? Hey, good morning. Doing great. How about you, Lance? Awesome. Awesome. Um, so, interesting. So, I have an interesting question for you. And I think, you know, and because, you know, we hear this a lot from customers and, and this is going to get into a little bit of the psychology here in a second. But there's an interesting thing that's going on right now. So yesterday, the the kind of the trap door opened in the market yesterday. Nobody's really expecting that sell off. Um, a lot of it was positioning this Friday. We've got a three trillion dollar options expiration event on Friday. So a lot of yesterday's sell off was advanced positioning for that um, set up on Friday. So there's, there was a lot of potential there. Um, we've got record puts on, on stocks right now by hedge funds. You had record long call options as well. I mean, just, you had a lot of a break, potential break points in the markets and all showed up yesterday. But that inflation print, that was the trigger for that sell-off. And again, it really didn't give you a lot of opportunity to do anything yesterday. I mean, markets just kind of opened up at the floor and stayed there most of the morning and then sold off some more in the afternoon. 
Um, but here's an interesting byline of all this. The two-year Treasury, which front runs the Fed. Um, so if you ever want to know where the Fed funds rate is going to, all you have to do is watch the two-year Treasury because it's pricing in where the Fed's going to. And that two-year Treasury is now pushing 4%. Now, here's the interesting point about this. If that is the case and the Fed does go to 4%, which has been the Fed's kind of commentaries of late, that means that you could very well see a money market fund coming back to 4% yields. So here's the question. And here's my question to, to Mr. Ratliff this morning because he hears this a lot. I hear this too. We have customers come in all the time and says, look, if I could just get 3% on my money, I'm good. That's all I need. Three, Give me 3% annual on my money and and I can make ends meet and I'm, I'm fine. I don't need to take any more risk than that. Well, now you can get that at 4% in a money market account. So if you could get a 4% money market account, would you still invest in the stock market? Right? Why take the risk? If all you need is 3%, as we're often told, why would you take the risk at 4%? Now, of course, the obvious answer to this is, is, yeah, but what if the market starts going up again and I can make more than 4%? See, this is always the psychology of it, right? This is where the greed factor kicks in. You just told me all you need was three, and now I can get you four in a money market. Or there's actually some other alternatives we'll talk about this morning. Well, but it's a, it's a huge conundrum that people yeah. are experiencing right now because that's right. A lot of people say, listen, I can get three, 4%, I'll be happy. Well, that was prior to inflation at you know 8.7. Right. Big difference. And or 8.3. And I think that these are things that we need to, to continuously monitor and watch for. And look, people also say the other side of the coin here is that, well, listen, I'm not keeping up with inflation, so there's no sense in investing here. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah, if that's a long-term investment and inflation stays this high, you know, I had a call last night, Lance, and um, from somebody you know well and said, Danny, what are we doing with the plan? Our plan, we're not having you know, inflation. We've, we've adjusted for inflation, higher inflation over the last couple of years, saying, look, we think it's going to remain higher for a bit longer, but we don't have it at 8%. Right. But is 8% that sticky? No. Is 8% going to stay there? So that would be a big difference if we're going to assume for the next 20, 30 years of your life, this is where inflation is. Yeah, that's a problem. Um, but if it's also, you're right, because many people are saying, okay, well, listen, I want three or four. Now we're getting closer to two, probably between one and a half and two percent on on uh, money markets, and if those rates continue to rise, that could be a great place to store funds for a bit if the market remains volatile. But like you mentioned, it's tough to to right. say, okay, we're going to stick everything here. Now I like this option for short term positioning, right? right? Because look, you can avoid some volatility. You if you increase your buffer, uh, we've talked about having your emergency funds plus a financial vulnerability cushion. And not to mention, just within our regular portfolio management, we will go to cash and overweight at different times because we want that ability to go in and buy lower. And if we can get paid a little bit more for it, great. Um, but I think this is a big this is a big problem that many people are trying to trying to wrestle with. Right. Well, and again, you know, how sticky is the four percent money market going to be? I mean, well, know, as soon as the Fed goes back to, you know, dropping rates again because they've broken something. And see, this is the problem. Um, and, and again, this is this is where investors are going to make mistakes is they're going to go, I'm just going to get out of the stock market because so I can get 4% of my money market. And then as soon as something breaks in the market, they're going to feel really smart for about 20 minutes. And then the market money market rates going to go right back to zero because the Fed's going to drop rates in order to bail out the economy and the markets. And then you're going to be forced to come back into equity. So 
you know, this is going to be the challenge. And, and to Danny's point, inflation's not going to remain at 8.3, 8.6, 8.7. Inflation, and this was the interesting thing yesterday, despite the fact we had a hotter inflation print on a month-over-month basis, um, inflation actually slowed. And it's actually slowing pretty sharply. And, and we're, we're likely going to see that continue to move forward. So we're going to get from, you know, now it's not going to go from 8% to 2 in a month, right? But, you know, by the end of the year, we could well be into a seven, seven handle on inflation and, you know, still be having the Fed hike rates because where's the Fed want to get to? They want to get back to that 2% inflation rate. But that also means slower economic growth, as Jerome Powell just said recently. You know, so we're going to have to have some pain here to get us back to that level. But, you know, look, but Danny, there are a lot of people that need this kind of, you know, they, they need kind of a guaranteed income, right? Almost a, you know, and we talk to a lot of people, right? They have a pension at work and, and they're saying, okay, I'm, I'm getting ready to retire. And, you know, for a long time, they say, I have a pension. Should I take the lump sum option or should I take the pension? For a long time, it's really been you should keep the pension because you can't match that payout, you know, in the market on, yep. you know, with valuations at 20, 30 times earnings. You can't match a four, five, six percent payout on your pension with long term returns on markets. But that may now be changing as well. You know, it's interesting. So, you know, we look at these and we do a lot of evaluations within our financial plans. If OK, should you take the lump sum? Should you take the pension? And. Depending on the scenario, and, and I will say this, most people do take the lump sum. And in fact, if you go to most advisors, they're going to tell you to. But what yeah, we want to do, feet. yeah, <laughs> we're going to look at, you know, we're going to get down in the weeds on this and say, okay, here's what this means for you. Here's what this looks like long term. This plan looks better if you take the actual pension payment versus if you take the lump sum. Or, you know, many times it's the opposite as well. So we want to evaluate that, understand what that internal rate of return is. And historically, what most people ask is, hey, can I take these funds out, go buy an annuity or, or something else, create my own pension on a secondary market? And the, the answer was no for many years because we could not duplicate that type of internal rate of return. That is beginning to change with these higher interest rates. Now, keep in mind, if you have a pension out there and you're about to retire, you think you're going to take the lump sum. When rates increase, your lump sum decreases. Now, it's quite the opposite. It's a seesaw. So when, when rates increase, your pension pay payments are going to increase as well. But if rates decline, lump sums go up, pension payouts go down because they would rather incentivize you to take the lump sum, get it off their books. So what we're actually beginning to see is that for the first time in many, many years, you could actually go out and buy something on the secondary market that's better than what your actual pension payout would be. And that hasn't happened, Lance, in, I mean, decades. It's been it's kind of remarkable to see it. And so, um, you know, many people are struggling with, OK, what do I do? I mean, I know people who are retiring early and I'm talking about several years early because they're so afraid of where rates may go and what that change is and what their actual lump sum is. So they're going to they're saying, hey, I'm going to go ahead and take this out and I'm going to go contract work or I'm going to do something a little different. Uh, maybe switch firms, go ahead and get the ability to uh, to take possession of these funds. So. This is something that I think if you're struggling with, make sure you talk to your financial planner. Give us a call, realinvestmentadvice.com. We'd love to help you and kind of help you understand what this means for you because this is a big deal and there's a lot of money left on the table here. Yeah, there is. And that actually goes to Social Security as well. Yeah. You know, one thing that we've talked about, you know, numerous times is, 
you know, Social Security already has a funding problem because of just demographics and the fact that since 1965, we just keep putting more and more people on the rolls for that don't contribute. Right. So, I mean, we just we've added in all kinds of people that don't pay into Social Security that they can still get Social Security. Um, and so now we have this kind of this inverted pyramid where back in the 30s and 40s, we had 16 workers paying into the Social Security system. Now we only have, you know, basically two workers paying into the system for every worker taking out. And one of the big problems from inflation is going to exacerbate the funding problem of Social Security because this year, um, every year you get a COLA adjustment, so cost of living adjustment for Social Security, and it's based on a calculation of the inflation rate. And never, it's never the same, right? So, yeah. you know, if you have 8% inflation, you're not getting an 8% bump in your COLA, right? You might get two or three. But um, this year, we could see an actual bump to Social Security payouts of up to 8.7%. And, and the problem with that is, is that the long-term kind of predictions of solvency for Social Security is based on a much lower rate of COLA adjustment. And, you know, a lot of people ask, you know, when you go back and look at CPI, we used to calculate CPI very differently uh, prior to the Clinton administration. It was based on a basket of goods, and you measured that basket of goods on a year-over-year basis. There wasn't all this finagling and mathematics to it. It was a pretty basic calculation for inflation. Um, in the late 90s, um, Bill Clinton was trying to balance the budget, and so he did a couple of things. He changed how we calculated unemployment and immediately removed 500 million people, 500,000 people from the unemployment rolls, made unemployment look better. And then, we, then he changed with the Boskin Commission how we calculated CPI to lower the rate of CPI in order to lower out the inflation payment, those COLA adjustments to Social Security, which made Social Security look more solvent at the time. That's now played catch up with us here 20 years later as the real cost of living for Social Security recipients is far different than what they actually receive in the COLA adjustment. We'll talk about that a little bit more when we come back from the break with Danny Ratliff. Don't go away. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com it's back to school time and for your high school student it's time to fill out the infamous fafsa form for college financial aid mistakes could cost you money our next virtual lunch and learn will help you maximize your free application for financial student aid the fafsa register now for this free lunch and learn with danny ratliff and chris liebham thursday september 15th at noon at realinvestmentadvice.com Filling out the FAFSA is vital for getting financial aid. Learn how. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. Realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. Welcome back to the show this morning. Danny Ratliff joining me. So just for the break, uh, talking a little bit about Social Security. And Social Security faces a challenge this year in particular, and Danny's talked about this before on 
Financial Fitness Fridays as well. Um, talk about Social Security is that you know we tend we continue to see the Social Security Board of Trustees talk about the solvency of Social Security and how long we have until they potentially have to cut payouts. And this is all based on you know kind of mathematical you know calculations based on historical rates, right? So at two percent inflation, they look at their coal adjustments. Say if I have to make a two percent coal adjustment every year, then my bucket of money is going to run out in 2025. Well, this year, Social Security recipients are looking at an 8.7% bump to their cost of living adjustment. Now, that means that more money gets paid out of Social Security and not more money is coming in. So this is going to potentially accelerate that insolvency point for Social Security at some point. And we'll see how they, we'll see what the Social Security Board of Trustees say about this, you know, at the end of the year. But you know, you know this will be a year where Social Security recipients get a nice little bump to their paycheck, and how long it lasts is going to be a different issue, of course, right? Well, it is, and even last year they received that bump of 5.9%, but then if you were on Medicare, you actually saw an increase of over 14% in your Part B premiums. And so this is one of those deals where these these increases, they're nice, but they're not just key. They're not keeping up with the pace. Right. The other problem, Lance, is that you know if we look at CPI in general, we're using CPIW, so we're using a workers index as far as how they calculate those cost of living adjustments. When really we should probably be using CPIE, which is for the elderly. So sorry, guys, I know you're not elderly, but uh, but it is one of those things to that we need to take you know be cautious with when we understand how inflation works and what that looks like. We've been a big big advocate over the years of switching that CPI. E, which has actually been legislation out because it close it more closely tracks what a senior citizen is is spending. You know, a lot more with healthcare expenses, prescription drugs, things that you know everybody. If you're in that that kind of demographic right now, you understand those things are not getting cheaper. And so it would be much better if we actually changed how we calculated it. If we get that eight eight point seven percent bump, that's great. And and listen. You know, every year we get when the um, Congressional Budget Office comes out and they do new surveys and there's many, uh, you know, bipartisan tax foundations that come out and say, listen, Social Security is going to come out and we're going to have a problem. And so, for instance, for the last couple of years at 2030 is going to be an issue. Then it was 2032, then 2033. It's currently 2035 before there's a reduction in benefits. And that reduction is a 20 percent reduction at the moment. So, yes, it's concerning. I, I do believe that we're going to have to fix this problem at some point. Unfortunately, they continue to just kick the can down the road. And while there's been many, le- you know, each year there's a lot of legislation out that's actually looking to address this, it just can't, can't get any, well, it has no legs. And it, well, the other problem with it too is, is that it's, and it, the reason it doesn't get any legs is because it's not politically electable, right? And so, you know, me coming out, okay, so Danny, I'm going to run for president this year and my platform is, is I'm going to reform Social Security. We're going to get it fixed to make sure that it's here, right? So everybody's going to have to take a 30% cut to their benefits. And if you're under if you're under 50, you're not going to get it. Yeah, you're still going to pay in. Yeah, but it require that. Right. If you, if, I'm just making an yeah, example, right? So if you're under 50, you're not going to get Social Security at all, but you have to pay into it. Okay. Correct. So that's a, nobody's going nobody's gonna to vote for you, right? And this is why, but the problem is on the other side is that, you know, even... President Biden just recently came out and has been trying to pass legislation to increase the payouts that we give to Social Security recipients. We want to give them more money. And the problem is, is as we go back to just basic math, you've got fewer people paying in to the system and we keep taking more out of the bucket. Well, that's right. It's not only just they want to pay people more. They're actually talking about doing paternity and maternity leave. Um, You know, this is opening up to a whole demographic that typically is not going to be even included in this. 
unless you're on disability. Right. So, so yeah, we're finding ways to drain the coffers rather quickly. But there's going to be – I don't think the legislation has to be as harsh as what you just mentioned. I mean, right. I think we can do small things that are, um, you know, a little bit more palatable in the sense that, okay – what if we say instead of 67, we begin to increase it? Just like if you're born between 55 and, and 60, every every year you get an additional two months. You have to delay Social Security until you can actually take it, until you know it goes all the way to 67. You could do that to 68. Um, you could have more income taxed. You know, currently it's uh, just under $150,000 that's taxed, and then you don't. If you make more than that, you're getting a pay raise. Right. Um, so you don't see that 6.2% coming out of your paycheck. So there's been legislation that'll tackle that as well and say, okay, well. Okay, I don't know how they come to the math on this, but we're going to give you basically a donut hole. Once you get above that amount, you're going to get a break until you make over three hundred thousand or four hundred thousand. Both those numbers have been yep. thrown out. Yep. I I would assume that at some point that's just going to go away. There's going to be no income limitations, and that actually fixes it much quicker, Lance. It does uh, by including all these numbers. But it, the the deal is, and I think the biggest concern is that Social Security is going to go away completely, and I don't think that's going to be the case because too many people rely on it. I mean, if you look at the numbers. More than half retirees rely on it for more than 50% of their income in retirement. There's actually a quarter of it rely on it for like 75 to 80%. Yep. I no, mean, no, look, I mean, the, the problem though, and, and you're right, no, it's not going to go away. Yeah. You're, you're never going to take away a welfare program, okay? No. And Which is a problem we keep on coming out with more and more. Well, and th- that's it. And see, the, the, so the, the part of the, you know, you, what your solutions are, look, let's, let's raise the people are living longer, right? But, so but let's, on, let's raise the retirement age to, to 70, but you can't keep adding more people to it's like the, so, it's yeah. like the student loan debt, right? You can't, you know, forgive debt and then put more people on the rolls. Yeah. You know, you've got to, at some point, you've got to say, okay, you know, if, you know, we're not going to add any more people to the rolls unless you're just retiring, <laughs> you know. But, but hold on, too. And this you is paid not, in, right? I, I take a little bit of offense to it. I'm sure many out there, yeah. it's not a welfare program. It's not enti- it intended to be. It is a But you're program. paying into it. You have put money into this program. For some, yes, who've never worked, who've never done They've never been in the workforce. Yes, there's there's that entitlement aspect to it. Yeah. But you are entitled to these funds because you have put funds into it. Right. But you're putting funds in for the other people. Yeah. Right. So you're not putting the, this. It, this is the mistake that people make. People think that oh, it's an entitlement program because I'm paying into my account. No, no, no. It's, you're it's not. A you're paying. It's a pyramid. Ex- exactly. You're paying it for other people. So it is a welfare program. So if you're offended by that term, sorry, it is. That's what it is because you're paying for all these people. That They're have not paid now. into the system. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. And so you've changed it from an entitlement program, which you were correct, it used to be, into a welfare program. And that's okay. I mean, there's nothing wrong. Look, there's nothing wrong with welfare. We all get offended by that term. It's like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm getting something for the no, government. No, look, there's people that actually need it. I'm, exactly. I'm okay with it. No, ex- look, you, look to, to Rich's point, right? If you, if you stop Social Security today, you know, there's, there's dead people laying on the streets, right? Because oh, you they, think we have because, a homeless problem now? Exactly. Yeah, no, worse. you can't. You can't do that. But it's a ninety-six trillion dollar unfunded liability, and so somebody's got to pay for it. Yeah. And it's a big problem long term, and this is the problem for the Fed, right? The cost of service on the debt. So think about this: every tax dollar that we collect every year, more than one hundred cents of every dollar of tax revenue being collected goes to pay. Social Security, prescription drug benefits, Medicare, Medicaid, and interest on the debt. And interest on the debt is rising sharply because we have $30 trillion in debt and the Fed's hiking interest rates. So when you see interest rates growing up, that debt service requirement is more tax revenue coming out. So outside of Social Security, Medicare, 
prescription drug benefits and interest on the debt. Everything else is paid for by debt. So education, energy department, national defense, all that, that's all coming out of more debt, which means an additional payment that's got to be made. And this is why, you know, everybody's trying to go after the rich people to get more taxes because, you know, yeah. we've got to try to figure a way to pay for some of this stuff. This is why we're such strong advocates of understanding where you're putting funds now yeah. because you're going to pay for it later. So you think, okay, great, I'm going to get this big tax break. Well, look, that may be fantastic for this year, but what's that going to look like in the future if tax rates continue to increase? Which, right. how, how do you not? We continue to give money away. Mm-hmm. I, I would have to assume that rates are going to go up. And if you think you're going to be, oh, don't worry, I'm going to fall into a lower income tax bracket, that's not always the case. No. Well, and again, look, the, 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 we can we, we don't make policy, so no, yeah. no. But but we do have to be very um, aware of it. Aware of it because look, these are things that we have to deal with and help clients navigate day in and day out. And so that's why you know I, I think you could probably tell we're a little bit animated about these things. <laughs> Well, it's because, look, I mean, look, you have a whole generation of people coming up right now yep. that want free stuff, right? I want free college. You know, this, this is the interesting thing about the student loan debt. You have just now set college tuition to spiral out of control because once you forgive student loans of ten dollars or $20,000, my son just got a $20,000 Pell Grant. He's, apply, awesome. he, he's applying for, to get it paid for, right? He literally just got it, right? But here's the problem. Now colleges go, wait a second, students can go out and borrow money and then you're going to forgive the debt because they only have to pay 5% of their disposable income. And then after 10 years, the debt's written off entirely. That's what the, this new process looks like if it, gets, if, it, if it actually comes to reality. Then why not as a college, why do I not just keep jacking up rates? Because now people can borrow more and more money pay 5% of their disposable income, and they get it forgiven after 10 years. There's, you have just now removed any cap, potentially, to student loan debt. And if, and if people can figure out they can get free money from the government, why not, right? And so this whole idea of hiking more taxes and creating more taxable revenue and all this, you know, this is going to become a, a much bigger requirement, to your point, Danny, is that in the next 20 years, you know, we could be talking about not just an income tax, but starting the Europe model of having a value-added tax on top of that. Well, this is a big wealth transfer. Yep. I mean, it really is. I mean, everybody's concerned about means testing on Social Security. Guess what? We already have that. You know, talking about how much is taxable. If you make between thirty-five and 44000 you have 50% of your Social Security taxable. If you make more than 44, 85% of it's taxable. Listen, you know, same thing with Medicare. The more money you make, the more you pay. I think it's just going to continue. Oh, yeah. So financial planning, very important. Be right back after the break. Don't go away.
daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. It's back to school time, and for your high school student, it's time to fill out the infamous FAFSA form for college financial aid. Mistakes could cost you money. Our next virtual lunch and learn will help you maximize your free application for financial student aid, the FAFSA. Register now for this free lunch and learn with Danny Ratliff and Chris Liebham Thursday, September 15th at noon at realinvestmentadvice.com. Filling out the FAFSA is vital for getting financial aid. Learn how. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning, 647. Uh, Futures are flatlining this morning right now after yesterday's big sell-off. We'll kind of see what happens at the open this morning. Let me give you a date. March 29th, 2021. Now, why is this date important? This date's important because this was just after President Biden passed another round of stimulus checks and sent out $1,400 to households. Now, this was the third round uh, under President Trump. He did $1,400 and then did $900 that December. And then in 2021, after the election, President Biden takes office and he immediately does another round of $1,400 stimulus checks. Okay. The president's stimulus bill at that point was quickly written up by a lot of media outlets uh, talking about what it will do to the population or to the economy. And this is according to the Center on Budget and Policy Priorities. The current child tax credit and EITC together lift more children above the poverty line, 5.5 million, than any other economic support program. This level of poverty reduction was achieved through multiple expansions, um, and the recent addition will continue that process. Um, you know, what's interesting about that, and I wrote, uh, so if you go to our website, realinvestmentadvice.com, and in the search bar at the top, type in the word poverty, and you will get an article right at the top that says, Biden stimulus will cut poverty by 40% for one year. And what's interesting about that is that has now become a fact. Because, again, at the time, if I give Danny money, right, so Danny's under the poverty line, and so I give Danny money that gets him above the poverty line. Well, he's above the poverty line. What what we don't talk about is, is what happens to the economy? Well, immediately, everybody else that's providing services to Danny raises their price because I know down Danny has more money, right? So child care costs go up, right? Uh, Housing costs go up. Food costs go up. Energy prices go up. Because everybody knows you've got more money to spend and there's a demand supply imbalance and that creates inflation and that inflation puts people back under the poverty line. It's the tax on the free money, right? And it's interesting here because now we're talking about 8.9%, 8.7%, 8.3% inflation. If you look at inflation as a function of what Danny was talking about a moment ago, I'm running a measure of of inflation that strips out um, the the kind of you know how we do inflation less you know food and 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 energy. If we take a look at inflation that's just really kind of focused on the the cost that people the elderly pay right health to Danny's point healthcare cost and those type of things. Those 
that inflation rates over still over 9% right now. So they're they're paying almost a full percentage more in inflation than the average worker, right? And so that's that's what's happening, right? So if I only give Danny a 5% pay bump and inflation's running 9, he's still in the hole. And so that's what happened. And so we wrote an article March 29th of 2021 saying this whole this whole lift of people out of poverty We'll put them right back into poverty a year later, and it'll be worse. They'll be even more impoverished than they were before. And, you know, this is actually kind of we're seeing that now. Well, it's very inflationary in nature. If you look at the child tax credit, for instance, you know, that went that went up considerably where it used to be just a, a basically a tax where it wasn't a refundable credit. It became a refundable credit, but they also started paying that on a monthly basis. They increased it. They actually opened it up to include more people. So 36 million households on average receive those checks, but not to mention the stimulus checks and everything else that occurred. But then they take all this away. They create this inflation. We had supply chain disruptions and all these things are inflationary without that. So now you've exacerbated and, and really multiplied the problem. And that's that's where we get into this big issue. So you put people, while it may have been good for the moment, it's much worse now. Mm-hmm. And at that time, hey, don't worry about paying your mortgage, your student loans, anything else. Um, so you created a problem, right? And and that's you know, and it's interesting too because back then we everybody touted the the bill as the second coming of FDR. Um, you know, FDR did have a lot of you know the New Deal under Roosevelt did have a lot of social programs embedded into it, but it was also getting people back to work. And you know, the problem with a lot of these stimulus bills that we did is that there was no incentive to get people back to work. Right. When, in other words, if if I'm if you don't have to pay your mortgage, if you don't have to pay your student loan debt, if you don't have to pay your rent, and I'm giving you free money, what's your incentive to work? Right. And and so, you know, that's been a problem. So we've created this supply demand, like I said, the supply demand imbalance, and now that free money has come due, and has to be paid back, and you pay it back through higher inflation, and that's what's occurring. The, the problem now, though, is that we're creating a big, you know, a, a bigger group of people living below the poverty line now than we did before, right? Yeah, I mean, we are seeing that. So as more and more people are beginning to fall below the poverty line, especially with inflation, households with fixed income. So the demographic that's suffering the most, Lance, is actually those 65 and older because Mm -hmm. they don't have the ways that the human capital they once had, I mean, not some do, but not all, where they can continue to work. And so if you're living on that fixed income, this is really problematic. And now, granted, listen, if they gave all these programs and it was continuously year after year after year it'd be inflationary in of itself but now you've created you've created the inflation but you've taken away what helped create it which makes the problem even bigger right so a couple other things here we're getting ready to wrap up the show this morning um you know again big big market sell-off yesterday biggest since june of 2020 obviously lots of people concerned about it there was no there was no panic in the market yesterday uh, it was simply a reversal of that run-up that we've had over the last four days. And I did wipe out four days' worth of gains literally in one day. That doesn't feel well. And then, of course, when you turn on CNBC this morning, it's markets in turmoil on, you know, every every banner that's up. Uh, so, you know, Actually, we're... Actually, literally. <laughs> literally. <laughs> it just popped up. Wow. So, you know, that's been the case this whole morning. Uh, futures have been future were positive earlier. They've gone back into negative territories. So not surprising. See a bit of follow through selling this morning. What'll be important is whether or not we can hold that uptrend line that we kind of been establishing since the July lows. If we break that, um, we've got some, you know, potential lower levels to go here. So we'll see what happens. 
Um, uh, you know, now the Fed's looking, you know, the expectations are 100 percent, basically 100 percent probability the Fed will hike 75 basis points next week. And now there's a 35 basis point um, uh, expectation. They could go a full 1 percent next week as well. So we'll we'll see that. So, again, just kind of we'll pay attention to what markets are, are doing today. Um, but also this weekend, right? Is it this weekend? No, tomorrow. Tomorrow. Sorry, tomorrow. We have a important lunch and learn for people needing to get ready for college. Yeah, so we're, Chris Levin and I, we're doing a FAFSA um, web webinar. It's going to be something you can go to realinvestmentadvice.com, go to our events tab. You can sign up right there. Really, we're going to talk about what are the things you should be doing? How do you prepare to start filling I think you need to explain out? what FAFSA is. Yeah, so basically, this is the forms. Well, listen, if you have a, a child that's going I mean, to college, like a falafel? close to it. That's, it's very it's, similar it's, to a falafel. Do you put powdered sugar on it? Mm, yes, yes. Powdered yes. sugar. Mm. So this is the form for federal aid. And if you're looking for uh, There's no sugar grants, on loans, you're going to be filling these out. You're going to list the colleges you'd like to attend. There's many different dates. There's a lot of nuances with it. Chris has been there, done that. Um, he helps a lot of our clients navigate this. And I think it's really important to make sure you don't leave any money on the table. This is a problem, Lance. If you look right. back in 2021, there was like, I can't remember the number exactly. I think it was like $37 billion that was left on the table. What what like what is it that people miss the most? I mean, what what like you what's fill, you don't fill it out. Well, yeah, it, it's overwhelming. Number one, right? <laughs> um, it, it is overwhelming, and or you just don't fill it out correctly, and it's really easy to make mistakes on because you can just you can is include it like income issues or it, it could be income, it could be assets. Um, a lot of people put retirement accounts down when you shouldn't be doing that because that's not something you're going to utilize for um, you know college tuition. So, you know, these are things, though, that, you know, he also what I really liked about it is Chris provides some tips that he did that I think that go a little bit above and beyond just filling out the forms that really helped him become successful. Like we were talking, I said, hey, man, how did you guys afford you know, like he had a daughter that went to UT, another one went to Boston College and then went on for a master's. And I said, how do you afford all this? He said, man, there's so much money out there, but you got to work for it. He's like, it's a second job. And he went above and beyond in so many ways. And I think that, if, you know, well, a lot of people may say, hey, I know the basics here. And, and you probably know the things that you should do, but many people don't. He did it and he got money from it. And so those are things I'd really like people to take away from it. Uh, but go to realinvestmentadvice.com. Check on the events tab. You can sign up. Um, it's going to be live there. We'll be answering questions in the background. And, you know, just lots of lots of information. And yeah. it's not that long. It's 20 to 30 minutes. Yeah. And, and, and of course, if you need help after that, obviously, you can uh, just click the ask a question button at the top of the page and um, ask a question to Chris. And I'll be happy to help you as well. Um, but that event banner is right at the top of the homepage. So if you go to realinvestmentadvice.com, right at the top of the page, it says avoiding costly mistakes on FAFSA. And that's uh, tomorrow, 12 noon. There's a register now button. It's really super easy. Just fill that in, get registered, and we'll send you a link. And, you know, we'll yeah. see you tomorrow. And Lance, the response from this has been incredible. I mean, people are, yeah. this is something people struggle with. Right. And, and, you know, guidance counselors, I feel like, should be doing a, you know, for you guys out there, I'm sure some of you do a really good job, but there's so many people that just feel like they're in the dark. Right. Well, no, look, there's, there's so many things that you've got to kind of navigate when you're trying to get student loan applications, stuff done like that. And it's, it's just, and again, like you said, it, it can be a second job yeah. trying to get all this stuff. Well, you know, what's, what's uh, was eye opening to me. I mean, I don't have children that are having to deal with this yet, yet you know, but it's the dates. All these universities have different dates. You have to have things in by. Um, and so I don't think many people know that. So they may have the university of their choice, but they're not prepared for it. And then they get stuff in late and you just miss out. Yep. That happens. 
All right, that wraps up the show for today, Danny. Thanks so much. Thank you. Uh, get by the website and get registered for the FAFSA Lunch and Learn tomorrow. It's at noon, uh, Thursday, September the 15th with Chris Lambham and Danny Ratliff. And then, of course, while you're there at the website, there's a big button that says, how can we help? So just send us a question, comment, email, whatever we can do to provide you a better show, provide you more information, give you help. Always happy to do it. Always happy to hear from you. Um, also, while you're at the website, get our latest blog post, our newsletter. Make sure that we have all of our subscriptions right there on the front page. Subscribe to our newsletter, our daily market commentary, our YouTube channel. Be sure and collect the, the little red bell icon as well so you get alerted to all of our new videos that come out every single day. Like three minutes of mar markets of money, which will be up here in just a few minutes. You'll, you'll get an alert for it. We'll keep you up to date. Um, also, Simplevisor. Check out our platform absolutely free for 30 days. That's also there all at realinvestmentadvice.com. Have a great day. See you back here tomorrow. It's a rich man's world.